So this is what I want you to do. I want you to look at your neighbor, your family member, the person sitting next to you, in front of you, or behind you, and I want you to share your favorite verse out of Proverbs with that person, and then turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to jump in together. So go ahead, start talking. All right, if you have your Bibles, go to Proverbs chapter 3. How many of you mentioned a verse out of Proverbs chapter 3? Raise your hand. That wasn't a setup, I promise. So, um, here's a loaded question for you. What in the world is God doing? How would you, how would you answer that? I mean, that question can be about pretty much anything today, can it? You, you look around the world, and it, it is not an un, unfair question for us to ask at times. Like, what in the world is God doing? You, you, know what, you know what leads us to that question sometimes? Is, is the fact that we are so focused on ourselves, and we have forgotten who God is and what he's done. So the reality is we can look at our lives, we can look at our health, we can look at our jobs, we can look at our family, we can look at relationships around us and be like, God, what are you doing? And actually he's given us the answer the whole time. But we just are so focused on ourselves we haven't looked for it. And what we just did was sing a song that declared that because we know God's character and accomplishments, we can take his word that he knows what he's doing. So, before I go any further this morning, what is it that you're asking God about when you're crying out from your heart, what are you doing? What is it? You don't have to say it out loud. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But what is it? We all have those things. And for us to think that we're the only ones with those types of questions, that's debilitating and paralyzing and it's not true. There's a lie of Satan whispering in your ear, you're the only one that struggles with this. So what are you asking God about? Okay, now, now let's move on to the encouraging part of the service since that was so uplifting. <laughs> how do you move on? How do, you, how do you get to that place where I'm asking a question, now what do I do? How do you move on? Well, one of these passages that's the most, one of the most familiar in the book of Proverbs, and, and I'm going <laughs> to, so I usually really like preaching on familiar passages because I like breaking what they, we all think that it actually says. I, I really do enjoy doing that. I'd be like, yeah, we have thought this, but actually this is what it's saying. Um, this one really actually says, for the most part, what we've always thought it said. The problem is we just ignore it. So that's a new twist on it. <laughs> Um, before I read it, let me, let me say this. There is an uh, air, a spirit, an air of heaviness this morning. And I don't know if you felt it. Um, I'm, I'm a little hypersensitive to those things on Sunday morning in particular because so much of what I do and what I believe about the preaching moment uh, is tied to how we interact with each other. And usually what I would do is try to burst through this spirit of heaviness or, or just exhaustion, which oftentimes it is, with jokes and laughing and just messing around. 
Um, I don't feel like that would be appropriate this morning. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask that as I pray, you pray. Don't, don't treat my prayer like, like it's uh, um, a spectator sport kind of thing. Instead, well, I pray, you pray. And let's just pray that God does whatever he wants to do in this moment with us and that he carries us along. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that is in your word. Thank you for the foolishness of preaching. The, the ridiculous idea that, that one man could spend time in a passage and stand up and proclaim the depth of your word. God, I can't even touch on the, the surface of it. So instead, I pray that uh, you would do what you need to do in each of our hearts. Guide my thoughts, my words. God, I'm showing up here for work, <laughs> and I'm gonna open my mouth. But I pray that your words would be the things that flow from it. I pray that we would leave here knowing we have spent time with you. Do something wonderful. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So here's the, the passage for this morning, the one that we're all very familiar with, Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5, and it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know him, and he will make your paths straight. That's a beautiful promise, isn't it? He will make your paths straight. I think the thing that we forget or maybe don't even know is that this isn't just saying he's going to you know, take all of our paths and instead of being the wavy, curvy, it's gonna be dead straight. I mean, it, it really literally means he's gonna make our paths clear. He's gonna remove any of the obstacles that are between us and peace. He's going to throw those things aside. He's going to remove those things. He's going to um, give us the opportunity. I mean, here's, here's the thing. God's intention is for you and I to live a life that is being led by his straight paths. That's a beautiful promise, and yet we don't take advantage of it, and we tend to look at it as a reward instead of a benefit, and, and there's a fine line between reward and benefit, Okay. Um, I, I think on a reward side, we tend to think if I put my nickel in the machine, I get this out at the end. So if I do this, then I get this. So if I do these things, then I get this straight paths. And instead, what he's saying here is, no, this is a benefit. A benefit of you living a life that is marked by trust is that you live a life where God is going before you, wiping out all the obstacles. Now let me be clear. By him wiping out all the obstacles, it doesn't mean that there is ease in your life. It doesn't mean your life is perfect because, I, I, okay, if you're not paying attention, here's a newsflash, you're not home. So until you're home, you're not comfortable. And so what we live in today is a world that ain't home, sorry, aren't, isn't home. Bad grammar. But God's desire and design for us is to, to live a life where the benefit of living in such a way gives us clarity, gives us peace, gives us freedom. And that's what he's calling us to. So what, what way do we live? How do we do that? Well, he says it, and it's very clear. I mean, there's three things that he, he commands us. First is this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Um, so let me dismantle it just a little bit for you. It doesn't mean just feel confident in God. It doesn't mean feel sure that he's going to take care of you. It doesn't mean to feel anything at all. This isn't an emotion. But I think we see the word heart, and we instantly think it's talking about emotion. Um, and what happens as a result is this becomes an out for us. Well, I just need to trust in the Lord with all my heart. So I'm just going to sit idly by. I'm going to shift into neutral, and I'm going to wait for God to give me the good feelings and give me the knowledge that I need in order to make it through this. And the reality is that's not what this verse is saying. Your heart isn't an emotional thing when it comes to Scripture. When Scripture speaks of your heart, it's talking about the center of your thinking, the center of your treasuring, the center of your deciding. So what he's saying is, what I want you to do is trust in the Lord with all of your thinking. What are you doing, God? Ask that question. But make sure while you're doing it, you're trusting in God with all of your thinking. The next phrase actually uh, helps us interpret what it means to trust the Lord with all of our thinking. Uh, he uses it as a contrast, but actually as we compare the two and use the two together, it helps us understand what God's calling us to. So trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. So first, this gives us an understanding of what trust meant in the first phrase. So if, if trust, the opposite of, or the same as trust is rely. So don't rely. Instead, you're supposed to, to trust. So this word rely means to put all of your weight on to be supported by. So maybe a picture will help you. This isn't a hiker coming down off of a trail, exhausted, leaning on a big rock trying to catch his breath. See, I am, I am relying on, I am leaning on, I am trusting on this rock as I catch my breath. That's not this picture. This picture is a paralyzed man being commanded to stand up and him using everything he's got to pull himself to his feet. That's what it means to lean on. That's what it means to trust God with all of your heart. So don't lean on, don't, don't depend on your own understanding, your own thinking, your own heart. Instead, rely on his, lean on his. I mean, Proverbs throughout the entire book teaches us we need to learn, we need to discover, we need to understand, we need to consider, we need to memorize, and we need to put into practice God's word. That's where we lean that's what supports us. We see who he is, we see what he's done in his word, and we lock onto that. So you come to know God's character and accomplishments, so you can take him at his word, then he knows what he's doing. And that changes the way you live. That changes the way you live. So let me, let me share an illustration with you. Um, we used to do, take part in a winter retreat every year when I was uh, teaching a high school guy's Sunday school class, and so we would go away for the retreat. It'd be freezing cold up at the camp. They had this pond, and one year, the boys that I was responsible for at lunch, uh, we were eating lunch, and they were like, we want to play hockey today, and I'm like, man, I don't even know if the pond is frozen yet. I mean, I know it's, it's iced over, but I don't know how deep it's frozen, so but we want to play hockey, and, and by their version of hockey, it wasn't hockey hockey. It was try to run around on the ice and not kill yourself hockey. Um, whole different version of hockey. So, so I'm like, all right, I'll tell you what, let me run, I'll go down to the pond to make sure that it's frozen over first, and then you guys come down, and if it's frozen, we'll play. If not, we'll come up with something else to do. Um, and usually something else to do, usually with those guys meant we're still going out on the ice even if it's not frozen. So I had to make sure I was careful. So I got down there before any of them were down there, and I'm walking out, and I'm kind of, you know, you walk on ice weird when you expect it to crack, Right? I mean, you walk on ice weird to begin with, but when you're like, okay, and so it's almost like you think if you spread your toes out enough, you're not going to fall through or something, right? You're kind of like, ooh, and you're walking, and I'm walking out, and it is, it's like, okay, and I'm, 
why would you do that? Right? But I'm doing that. And I'm like, okay, all right. And I'm kind of got my fingers down on it. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm listening for those signs, you know, the cracks, the pops. That always happens when you go out in a pond anyway, just to freak you out a little bit. So I'm like, okay. And the boys aren't there yet, so I'm getting out further and further. And as I'm, I'm probably 15 feet out, from behind me, I hear this noise. I hear a four-wheeler. Like, and the, the camp uh, management guy, I'll call him, his name's Rich, he comes bombing over the hill on the four-wheeler onto the ice. like, he's doing all these crazy donuts and stuff. And I'm out there like, oh, oh, oh. I'm only there for the weekend. I don't know how thick the ice is. Rich lives and works there. He knows it's going to hold him. Too many times, you and I are walking into God's presence and gingerly touching him because we're afraid he's going to fail us. The reality is we should be jumping on him knowing he never will fail us. Trust. Don't lean. And, and, and so in my time, a couple of you got to hear this actually by accident this week. As I've been studying this, I keep getting a trust in the Lord and, and don't lean on or don't rely on. I'm like, those are such vanilla words that really don't do it for me. Um, and so as I'm looking at it, the way I've been talking about these verses this week is this. We're not supposed to just trust or lean. We're supposed to flop on God with everything we have. So if I'm going out on the ice, I'm not just like, okay, there I am. It's, I'm running out there like, here I am on the ice. What could happen? And that's what God expects of us with him. To flop on him. To throw everything we have on, on, on him. And if God fails, then we are going to co- just completely collapse. But if God comes through, we're saved forever. So is that where your trust is? Are you trusting like that? Well, I might be. It's a hard question to answer, isn't it? I, I, you know, there's times I kind of, I mean, let me, let me give you just a couple of questions that I want to ask you. And these were, I mean, these aren't all of them. These aren't exhaustive by any sense, but they may give you an idea if you're really trusting like you're flopping on God. And the first question I'm going to ask you is this. So what determines your way of thinking and your way of living? Is it you and your feelings or is it God and his word? Do you obey the Bible, or do you just agree with the Bible? Significant difference between the two, because if you agree with the Bible, that's just a coincidence. It just so happens that the things you've picked up from culture, or your own personal experience, or your own personal preferences, those things just happen to line up with God and his word. So, so that means you uh, agree with the Bible. That's just a, a mere coincidence. And that typically is the way we are. We follow biblical principles of godliness when it agrees with our logic, or it agrees with our desires, or it agrees with our personality. But what about when God speaks against you? Oh, God's never spoken against me. I have bad news for you. It means you have made yourself God. When God disagrees with all the things you disagree with and agrees with all the things you agree with, you have made yourself God. 
So what do you do when God puts his bittersweet finger in the, in the middle of your chest and just points on you and says, right there, that needs to change? What do you do? If you lean on him, if you trust him, if you flop on him, then he and his word become your authority and your thinking and your activity will just get in line with what he says. It's not easy, but that's what will happen. So you trust like that? Here's another um, potentially identifying question for you to help you realize if you trust on, in God like you're flopping on him and that, that if, 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 if God fails, it's a total collapse, but if God succeeds, you're saved forever. And here's this question. Do you believe someone somewhere without Jesus will still go to heaven? Do you believe that somewhere there is someone who doesn't have Jesus and yet they'll still gain access into heaven? I mean, do people really need to trust in Jesus to have peace with God? Or, or is it okay that they're sincere, generous, good people? Well, what about the unreached people, Frank? What about the, 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 the young people? What about, what about, the, what about, the, what about that? Listen, if your answer is that any of them get to heaven by any other way than what Jesus Christ did on the cross, are you really trusting his understanding or are you trusting yours? Okay, so that, that opens a huge can of worms. So I, I just want to, the first reason, let me explain this. Two things I want to say about this and move on. First reason, the reason why I bring this up and the reason why I ask that question is because if you're sitting there and you think that other people can get to heaven another way besides Jesus, you have probably put yourself in that scenario and so you're not sure about who Jesus actually is. You're not confident about who he is. You're not confident about the efficacy of his work on the cross. And to that I would say, there's this great verse, the quote from Jesus, as I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. The second thing I would say, without spending four hours on this very touchy subject, is that I believe, and I believe I can point to Scripture where there's an evidence of this, which is why I believe it, that the unborn Infants, babies, developmentally challenged people, when they die, and you have to hear me all the way through, they will stand before God just like the rest of us. And they'll only be allowed into God's presence for eternity because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I believe God is good. And while I can't tell you exactly how Jesus' work is applied to their account, I am confident that the blood of Jesus covers them. I can't tell you how, but I'm okay living a life where I can't explain everything I believe. How about you? Oh, here, I'm glad you said amen because I had a perfect picture of it. You're, you're fine jumping into this metal tube that hurdles through the air at hundreds of miles an hour called a plane. Can any of you explain how an airplane actually works? No, but you'll gladly board in the A group if you get a chance. You'll take that trip to the Bahamas or to California or to Florida or wherever you might go. I'm okay living a life where I can't explain everything, and I'm okay even in that. But just as confident as I am of that with, with 
unborn and infants and, and toddlers and developmentally challenged, I, I am just as confident that any single one of us who is sitting here this morning that can comprehend fully that we are sinners, that God sent his son to die in your place, and that you need to yield your arrogance and pride before him and accept him as your substitute, that if you heard that, you will stand before God as well. And you have to make the decision if you want to be judged based on your works or on the works of Jesus. And it's not a difficult decision. We've been shown very clearly how well your works score. Bad news, it's a big, fat F minus. So if you trust him entirely, then you will trust Jesus as the only savior. Here's the third question I'll ask you. Do you use your life, uh, let me try that again, and I'll actually speak English this time. Your <laughs> life. All right, do you live, there we go, differently than those people who admittedly don't trust Jesus at all? And, and I don't, I mean, there's, there's sanctified lifestyle, so I live differently, I live a much moral life, and just, you know, um, sorry to hurt any hearts in the room, that's not what a sanctified lifestyle is. A sanctified lifestyle isn't someone who's like, I am so moral and so right and I never sin. No, a sanctified lifestyle is a life that is marked by constant repentance, a sanctified lifestyle is one that says, wow, I screwed that up again. Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need their forgiveness. And I'm going to call it out every which way I can. And I'm going to continue to fall on my face and ask for forgiveness and seek forgiveness because every day I demonstrate my weakness. And as Paul said, well, then if I'm going to demonstrate it every day, then I'm going to brag about my weakness so that I might experience the grace of God daily. But, but, but living differently than those who don't um, um, put stock in who Jesus is, I don't mean just your sanctified lifestyle, even though it's a, a part of it. I mean risk. Do you take any risks at all? Uh, please, I'm not talking about gambling. I'm not talking about driving at a high rate of speed. I'm not talking about deciding that this is the year for the Ravens either, okay? <laughs> it's football season, all right. What I mean by taking a risk is living a life where you flop yourself entirely on God and as a result, some of your choices look risky as compared to the world around you. You're living a life where you have flopped yourself onto God and as a result, you're willing to leave the job that you have right now to head to a country that doesn't have a witness for Jesus Christ and be that witness. You, you flopped yourself on God and you are willing to take the risk to get your hands dirty with some people in our community who need the help. You're willing to live a generous life that other people would look at you and say, man, that is too much. You're, you're willing to, to confess that you are broken to people all around you who are living a life that are trying to hide their brokenness. That's risk. So are you living a life that is different than the people around you? When's the last time an unbelieving friend noticed their difference in priorities and it surprised them? So to my shame, I've actually celebrated too often the times when the people around me have noticed how similar I am to them. Because, I mean, come on. I'll just say it. Being a pastor is not really looked at as being the cool thing. And I want to be cool. So every once in a while, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I've done that too. They're like, oh, I didn't know pastors did that. And instantly, my heart goes, oh, no. I mean, it's like, yay, no, ah, ah. That weird feeling. I don't want to be like every pastor, but I don't. Oh, no. And now pastors, if they heard that, are going to call me and be like, what's wrong with us? 
we know what's wrong with them, don't we? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, so when's the last time they noticed the difference in your life? And actually, that, that leads us well, as bumpy as it may be, into our, the last phrase that's used, in all of your ways, know him. Now, most of us, when we hear that phrase, we're, we're more familiar with the phrasing, in all your ways, acknowledge him. But I, but I think when we go with acknowledge, we've done damage to the verse, because I can acknowledge people from a distance all the time. I did it yesterday. Um, a few of you knew that I was acknowledging you and acknowledged me back as I was driving by. I mean, it was nice. We weren't road raging each other. But I was like, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? There's a couple of you in here who I saw from a distance in your car, and I was like, hey, never mind. See, the problem with acknowledging is you can do it from a distance, and that's not the point of this word. The, the idea of this word is to know, to be involved with, to relate to, to experience, to have intimate knowledge of, to be connected to. So how do I know him in all of my ways? All of my actions and thoughts and words and plans and decisions, all of my breaths, all of my moments, all of my being is to know him. What does that look like? Well, picture this. So let's say you're going away on a business trip this week. And as I see you and you're getting ready to leave, my encouragement to you is worded like this. Hey, while you're traveling... Love your wife. And there's a little bit of confusion. It's like, well, she's not going on the trip with me. Oh, I know. While you're traveling, love your wife. Oh, okay. So, you, so should I call her? Should I text her? Should I FaceTime her? Should I send her a card? Should I send her flowers? Yes, but no. While you're traveling, know her. Everything you do, in all of your ways, in what you say, what you do, what you don't say, what you don't do, may all of that be in light of that relationship with your wife, even if she's hundreds of miles away. It should affect the people you hang out with and the people you decide not to hang out with. It should affect where you go and where you decide not to go. That relationship, that covenant, that, that those vows that you have taken to your wife will affect every aspect of this business trip. And so it should be with God. Our relationship with God should affect every aspect of our life. There is not an inch of our life that isn't touched or affected by my knowledge of who God is. Everything. Everything. And if you live like that, he says, he will make your paths straight. You know what he's saying? You know what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 really is in a nutshell saying to us at its most basic level? We've, we've looked at it as life is crazy. I have so many decisions I need to make. What should I do? I should trust the Lord with all my heart and, and not lean to my own understanding, but I, all my ways I should know him and he'll make my paths straight. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. You know what he's saying? He's saying at the very basic level of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, he says the whole point is this. Remember who God is and remember what he's done. And may both of those things affect every aspect of your life, whether it be the public aspects or the very private aspects. Remember him in everything, in every dark tunnel, in every bright morning, in every pain, in every pleasure, in every terrifying event, in every monotonous moment. Remember God's character. Remember God's accomplishments so that you can take him at his word when he says he knows what he's doing. 
because he does. And we sell that incredibly short sometimes, don't we? <laughs> I think too often we've looked at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and we've said, okay, this, this is how I'm going to make it through this decision about a job. This is how I'm going to make it through a decision about college. This is how I'm going to make a decision about who I should marry, who I shouldn't marry, what cell phone plan I should go with, what house we should buy. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I'm going to cling to that so I can make these decisions. Man, that is so very short-sighted. Because when you think about how God makes our paths clear, you've got to remember the greatest obstacle he moved out of the way for you. Now, you know when God created everything, he made it to work perfectly, and that he created you and I to know him and to enjoy him forever. And yet even in that context, we chose his stuff over him. And as a result, we lost everything. We lost relationships with each other. We lost some health. We lost the perfection of the garden. We lost God himself. And we couldn't find a way back to him. I mean, try as people may have tried, they never found their own way back to God. But God sent Jesus to come after us. And in all of those places where you and I failed, Jesus didn't just succeed. He was perfect. And Jesus went to the cross and he died a death that we should have died and he carried with him the weight of our sinful rebellion against God. And he was bearing the just judgment of God for us. Uh, he, was, he was dying in our place. And then three days later, he rose from the dead as a guarantee that if you trust in him and only in him and you flop all of your sin and guilt and shame on him and you confess and know that his death counts as your death and that through him you can experience this abundant, everlasting life. The way has been cleared for you. But much more than just directing you for today but by paving a way, by removing the obstacles that have stood between you and God. God's character and accomplishments should remind us that we can take him at his word because he knows what he's doing. And he's never failed. And he never will. And this morning as we gather at the tables to receive the elements of communion, we're reminded of that. We're reminded that, that God made a way for us. And so this morning, if you're with us and you know Jesus Christ and you're living a sanctified lifestyle as I defined it, a lifestyle that is marked by repentance for sin, not perfection, not the highest morals in the room, but the one who is living a sanctified lifestyle of repentance day in and day out, then we would invite you here in a moment to join us as we receive communion together. As a church, our tradition 
uh, is I'm going to close in prayer and the, the band will come and play some music and as they're playing, you just leave your seats and make your way to the tables that are set up. We have a few in the front and a few in the back. I would encourage you to go with your family. Receive the elements, bring them back to your seat, and as we're preparing to take communion together, I'd encourage you just to, to bow your head and close your eyes and quiet your heart and talk to God about your heart. Remember him. Remember that he can be trusted. I'll come back up and I'll, I'll read a couple verses and we'll observe communion together. And we'll celebrate what it is that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We'll celebrate what it is that God has done for us in making our path straight and clear. Let's pray together before we observe communion. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the confidence we can have in Jesus Christ. God, our confidence isn't in how we live or who we know. It's simply in you. So Father, as we spend some time this morning quieting our hearts, communing with you and with each other, Lord, I ask that you just remind us of how good you are. Remind us of what it is you did for us. These are just crackers and juice, but Lord, I pray that the picture would be such that we are brought back to that moment where we recognize we were a sinner and lost without Jesus. God, may we celebrate our time as we look at these elements. For it's in Jesus' good and wonderful name I pray. Amen.